Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Hello and welcome to Blank Check with Griffin and David presents Pod Night Shyamacast. Woo! Victory! I'm Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. Um, this this is uh, we gotta set the table here because this might actually be an entry point episode for new listeners. Yeah. Um, this is a podcast called Blank Check. Blank Check, hosted by the two of us, the two friends, two friends. That's what they call us, the, the two, two friends. Friends, Griffin Newman, David Sims. Uh, I'm a comedian. I'm an actor. Uh, yeah, I'm a critic and a writer for the Atlantic. Uh, for the last year, uh, we did a series of investigative miniseries uh, overanalyzing the... Uh, Star Wars franchise. Yes. Um, and this now, 2016, we're stepping forward into expanding our brand mm-hmm. to be more just about uh, passion projects in general. Yep. Blank about, check. About, about filmmakers. Filmmakers. Who, who lay it all out there on the screen, whether that's good or bad. Yeah, and people who are, have experienced a, a huge amount of success at some point in their careers that right. gives them kind of a blank check for the rest of their career. Or at least, yeah, yeah, exactly. To keep for doing a lot of their something. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether or not they keep on getting big budgets or big talent, they keep on getting to work. Yeah. And charting sort of the relationship between... Yeah. Directors who have a lot of personality yes. that's evident in everything they do. Yeah, and also people who have enough of a sort of uh, public paper trail... Yeah, that we sure, can chart sure. their narrative as a person outside of their movies, along yeah. with the films. Okay, so that's all the formal movies. We business. Love movies. We, we love, love movies. movies. We love movies. Yeah, let's let's keep the formal business to a minimum. Uh, we're, no, we're a couple. I think, of, we're, I think we we're said two that. friends. We t- we're two. Friends. We talk about movies. We're the two friends. We talk about movies. That's the through line. So this is our our first mini series of 2016, and it is about the films of M Night Shyamalan. Yeah, we're the, our first uh, section is going to be about the uh, the great filmmaker. The terrible filmmaker, the, the 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 man, the mystery. Well, that's what we're going to be trying to answer. Right. Is he great is he filmmaker? Good? Is he a terrible filmmaker? Is he somewhere in between? Uh, do you have to have made mostly good films to be a good filmmaker? Sure. Is it possible for those two things to exist independently? Does money corrupt? Now the the show is called Blank Check. Yeah. And if you're subscribed to Blank Check, previously Griffin Day Present, which was a bullshit name that didn't imply anything. It was just a made up name. Yeah. I'm sorry to the people who wanted us to keep that name. Oh, did anyone really? Yeah, some people did. Okay. Um, blank check. If you subscribe, you're here for the long haul. You're going to get every mini series. Yeah, we're just going to keep going. But much like serial, this could be a series of little sort of investigations, right? Much, much like serial. Yeah, multi part investigations with some one offs in between. Yeah. And we want to name each of our mini series a different thing. Yeah. Blank check's the overarching title, but then, you know, colon, and then what's the name of the mini series? I really want to call this mini series PCAST. Shyamalan. Yeah, stupid name. David. It was bad. It got a thumbs down. Roommate. Yeah, my roommate Alex Sharonbeck. Props. Pitched Pod Night Shyamacast. Woo! And I and right off the top of the dome. It was, Just, the it was right off the dome. top of his dome. I took it to Twitter for a vote. Uh, my my choice got thirty six percent, and podcast Pod Night Shyamacast got sixty four percent. It's an overwhelming majority. It's almost a super majority. It's a super majority. Now, I concede because I took it to Twitter. The people have spoken. Yeah. You didn't like my bullying tactics, though. I didn't like your bullying yeah. tactics. I thought you were being a brat. And that's not cool because <laughs> we're the two friends. 
We're the two friends. That's what we're known as. Yeah. Hashtag the two friends. Of course. Uh, we're known as the two friends. Our listeners are known as the Blankies. Blankies, yeah. Pushing that hard. Yeah, Emily Emily Yoshida named them, named our fans, and uh, we're, we're sticking with that. Off the top of her dome. Yeah, she, it was off the top of her dome. She didn't, have, her to, dome. She didn't have to bully anyone into liking that idea. No, pra- no passive aggression. Uh, here's what I don't like about the name Pod Night Shamacast, and we're stuck with it now because the people, the people voted. His name is not pronounced Shyamalan. It's it's more it's Shyamalan. How, it's like Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Pod Night Shamacast. Sure. Look. Pod Night Shamacast. Yeah. Okay. That's the name of this show. Uh. So we're here to talk about M Night Shyamalan. We're here to talk about. M. M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. And with us, as always, is our producer. Oh. On the ones and zeros. In you an, might know him. In another room. In another room. He is a disembodied voice right now. We cannot see him. We can that's, hear him. We can hear him breathing puffing and puffing. <laughs> He's giggling a little bit to himself. You might know him as producer Ben. Producer Ben. You might know him as producer Ben. Oh boy. You might know him as the Ben Deucer. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you might see him on the street and wish him a Hardy Hello Fennel. Sure. You might call him Birthday Benny if it twere his birthday or even sure, twere not. it not. Yeah. You might call him the tiebreaker because sometimes he breaks ties when we vote on things. Oh, boy. You might call him the Poet Laureate because <laughs> yeah. he speaks well, but also because he writes stuff out, prepares it in advance, and reads week. it on mic, making us look like dummies even though we're just going off the top of the dome. <laughs> you might know him as Producer Ben Kenobi. Mm-hmm. That was a holdover from the Star Wars days. You might know him as Kylo Ben. This is also a holdover from the Star Wars days. Yep. And ladies and gentlemen, you might know him as the peeper. Although he can't peep on us right now. He can't. We built He's a wall. away. Ladies and gentlemen. Big Ben, as I addressed him. The Haas himself, producer Ben Hosley. <laughs> Hello, Fennel. Hello, Fennel. Hello, Fennel. All uh, right. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure yep. to be starting another miniseries. 2016. Always nice to start to a, a new year. Yeah. And a bunch of new fun episodes. Although I got to say- I uh, tried to watch these two movies, and uh, both were terrible, and made it about five minutes in. Yeah. These Turned are the only, I think, the only two movies that we're going to do that are readily available to watch. Yes. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go get a DVD. You don't have to rent it on Amazon. We even set the two films. Let's let's set the stage a little bit. Yeah, we're going to talk about his first two films tonight. Most people day. think The Sixth Sense was his first movie. I feel like most lay people think Sixth Sense was his first movie because it was such a bold entry onto the scene. Sure. He was about 29 when he made The Sixth Sense. Like, he was young. Right. So and He's only, what, 44 now? He's not that old. I think I looked up. He's like 47, maybe. But he's young. He's very young. Um, his first two films, one he made when he was 22 years old. Yep. Right out of NYU. He went to Tisch, went to film school. He's 45 years old, Griffin. Wow. Wrote, directed, produced, starred in a film called Praying with Anger. Correct. Saw a very, very limited theatrical release. Uh, no, it's a no theatrical release. I read a New York Times review that referenced it playing at the Village East. From okay, Stephen fine. Holden. I read a review. I read something that said it was never actually released, but maybe I'm wrong. That's what I thought too. But Stephen Holden said it was playing at the Village East. Who knows? Stephen Holden's been around that long. Yeah, he was reviewing it in '92. Damn. Yeah, and he talked about how this young director showed a lot of promise, and then he followed it up in 1995. I think that movie was 1992. Is that correct? Praying with Anger is '92, and then he made Wide Awake in 1995, but it wasn't released until '98. Correct. And uh, that was a uh, Catholic school comedy, dramedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like a, a 
a kind of a kids movie, but like not really. Well, we'll go into them. But that uh, was but, released in '98, and a year later, Sixth Sense happens, and it changes. But I mean, everything. just like Wide Awake made two hundred thousand, two hundred eighty thousand dollars at the U.S. box office, and the Sixth Sense, which came out a year later, made two hundred ninety-three million dollars. So you know, right, right. It's Wide a, Awake didn't. It appeared in at its height forty-three theaters. Yeah, didn't really make much of an impact. Now, most people haven't seen these films. A lot of people haven't heard of these films. They're both readily available. Wide Awake is the only Shyamalan film playing on Netflix right now. Playing on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Just go to Netflix. There it is. If you type in M. Night Shyamalan, it's the only thing You'll that comes up. You'll get that up. one. You'll get an empty page, a lonely page with Wide Awake in the middle. Rosie O'Donnell's sideways smirk. Yes. And then uh, Praying With Anger is available on YouTube. It's never been. It's just on YouTube. It's never been released on DVD, quality. I think, in America. Terrible no, quality. No. Um, but it can be watched. Uh, you also don't have to, like me. Well, ben, you could just listen to the episode, and I, I could be your representative. I can be the like, yeah, the ben, voice Ben's of non watcher. Sure, non watchers. Uh, yes, uh, Ben is the audience association figure. If you're a lazy, you know, bum who doesn't want to do the work required for the podcast, if that's <laughs> if that's if you want to just skateboard through life, high fiving people with your cool red beard, then you can be Ben. Wide Awake only was in theaters for three weeks. I know, and I saw it. I saw it you in saw theaters. It in theaters? I saw it in theaters. We'll get Why? to that. Why? Okay. Huge Rosie O'Donnell fan. That's the honest reason. I saw any Rosie O'Donnell film opening. <laughs> they weekend. tried to sell it on the back of Rosie O'Donnell. She's Worked not this in guy. it a lot. Worked for this guy. All right. The poster was just her in the boy. I know, with like a baseball. And she gets uh, Anne well. Rosie O'Donnell in the credits. She does. Okay, Ben, do you want to set the stage a little? Because you didn't watch the films, but actually did a lot of research into the early life of M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, um, I mean, I pulled up a Rolling Stone interview from 2000, so this was uh, about a year or so after uh, Sixth Sense had come out, just to give people who have no familiarity with uh, Shyamalan's background, he was actually born uh, in India, right? Um, but his family were uh, Philadelphia residents for many years. Uh, and Philadelphia as a city plays a big part in a lot of his films, it yeah. seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, his he, parents are doctors, I his, believe. His parents are doctors. And uh, let's see. Let's see if I can pull up a tasty quote. Their son was expected to be a doctor, but he also showed a, uh, a, a, a an interest in making films. He used an 8mm camera and made over 45 films as a young man. Yeah, he's sort of in the that like like J.J. Abrams or um, what's another one like these guys who loved Spielberg movies when they were kids mm-hmm. and like got Super Eight cameras and just started like making like kind of their own little movie. Now he uh, told a guidance counselor uh, that making movies. This is a quote: "Making movies is not only my hobby, not only my primary interest, not only my extracurricular life." Two more it not only is oh. my future not only. Can I say something quickly? Yeah, I'm starting to get really spooked out by hearing Ben's voice and not seeing him. I know to the listeners it won't it won't have any change because they've never seen him. They've just you know it's a radio drama. Ben is like the shadow, and they're hearing his voice and they're making images in their brain. <laughs> but for me, it feels like Ben is a ghost that's haunting my mind. <laughs> anyway, all right. Yeah, uh, I mean. 
let's see. He's a NYU graduate of right, Tisch. Tisch. Um, his parents funded uh, yeah, that film. Yeah. His, his parents and, uh, were very wealthy. They put out a lot of money, too. They were very wealthy. And I think the other thing was um, they might want him to be a doctor early on because that was their uh, yeah, path but, that they, they chose in their lives. encouraged his filmmaking passion. Very hard. Yeah. I think more than anything, he was sort of raised being told that he was a genius, brilliant child all the time. He was given a lot of support and was told by his parents that, like, you're better than everyone else. I, I mean, I'm, I'm extrapolating. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're putting a narrative on I've, it. But I've his read, parents I've read loved pieces. That, yes, his, his parents passion loved for film. Him. Yes. He has described, I think, Raiders of the Lost Ark as being his eureka moment. I think he saw that at a young age and mm. was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm just saying, like like Abrams, there are these guys who are now in their 40s who got started as, like, Spielberg fans. Yes. And they started making Super 8 movies because that's what Spielberg did. Right. You know, and that, like, that, that, that was their, like, their whole visual language. Uh, this brings up, I think, a very interesting point. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan is predominantly known as a horror director. It's true. Yeah, or thrillers and horror and yeah. kind of a suspense movies, you yes, call them. Yeah. right. But people very quickly put him into like a Hitchcocky category after very Sixth Very Hitchcocky, yeah. Right? He made like four like straight horror movies in a row. I guess the Unbreakable isn't quite, but... But Unbreakable still has like the it's tone just, and the structure of movies. a thriller. Yeah. That's what's interesting is it's like not a horror movie, but it has that vibe to it and yeah. that pacing and everything, even the composition of the frames and everything, the color palette. Um... Early M. Night is not seem to be aggressively influenced nope. by horror. Nope. He's a Spielberg guy. And these two movies are about as far away from horror as you could possibly get. True. And there's an interesting shift that happens after Sixth Sense becomes humongous. One of the top ten highest grossing films of all time at that point. Uh, gets nominated for like eight Academy Bunch Awards, Oscars, including yeah. three for him. Yep. Um, he becomes the horror guy and sort of doesn't look back to a degree. No, it's weird. Because even the non-horror films he's made, I would identify those as being Lady The Last the Airbender, Lady in the Water, and Unbreakable. Isn't After Earth not? That's not a horror Oh, movie. After Earth 2. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. Um, but After Earth They're still- They're all genre movies. After Earth is very dour in a way that feels influenced by horror movies. Yeah. Rather, where, where you like look at that movie and you're like, I've oh- I've never seen it, so- This could use a young Spielberg. This could use that kind of pop and verve and fun, you know? Uh, you will see After Earth. I, I will. I yeah. know. You're going to see the shit out. I know. After. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna, I haven't seen all of his films. I've seen most of them, but I never saw After Earth. Same here. Uh, so let's let's get started with this yeah, first one. Let's moment. get, come on. All right. So yeah. we're talking about M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, I mean, Praying With Anger is is the thing. We we all, we just have to talk about this movie to introduce him. Yeah. As a person. 22 years old. His parents finance it. He makes it. This it is his thesis. $750,000. This is his thesis to graduate from NYU. Right. And yeah. like. You know, this is back in the day. You couldn't just pick up a phone or, like, pick up a cheap digital camera. You know, movies, even little movies, they cost money. You needed yes. to fucking rent a camera. Like, you know. Yeah. It's not, and this movie is in, it's set in India. It's set in India, and also and we watched it. has all this, it, like, gorgeous photography of India, which I wish I could have seen in a little yeah. better quality. We watched it in terrible, terrible yeah, resolution YouTube quality uh, video, but. I, it, know, I think it's available on video. Really? On well, VHS? On, in the U.S. I mean, sorry, in the U.K. it definitely is. Because okay. I found a video cover for it. It was rated 15, which is a British rating. I don't even, I guess people swear a little bit. A little it. bit, mean, it's, it's, yeah. It's almost a plot point how little like, they swear. There's like an intense scene of, of violence, even though no actual violence happens, that yeah. I think would be too much for kids. I think it must have sure. been the BBFC's thinking. Shout out BBFC. 
But this movie looks like it was shot on 35mm. I'm sure it was. Right? And he went all the way to India to shoot it. Maybe it was 16, but I mean, it was shot on real film. Yeah. Like, you know, with And, like, and Ben, you, you said $750,000? Uh, I had heard that uh, Wikipedia is saying 800000 somewhere in that range. Yes, yeah. I, I'm seeing it about the same range as well. Yeah, I mean, we're talking at least three quarters of a million dollars. But and this was it was like you say it was his thesis film. Yeah, it was his calling card movie. Yeah, this was the film that got him entree. Yes, uh, into Hollywood. I think some producer noticed him. It went around the festivals. This movie, mm-hmm. and he had written a bunch of scripts, and he sort of that like, you know that that sent him on the path. He had this script wide awake, and then you know. They yeah. they they took notice of him. He also gets a lot of uh, ghostwriting, rewriting jobs, including She's All That, which he claims he did a heavy rewrite on, well, which has been disputed. Yes, by the, uh, writer, by the writer, the credited the writer. Oh, but then he, but then he deleted his tweets about it. I remember so. Yeah, and yes. and uh, screenwriting credit is notoriously like. Oh, according to BBFC, it's a PG, so I take it back. Um, anyway, and uh, and he wrote the Stuart Little. He movie. wrote the Stuart Little movie. He's one of only two credit writers on a Stuart Little movie. So he gets hired to adapt Which things. Which is he a gets cute hired movie. To rewrite things. Cute movie. Hugh Laurie. Yep. Really is it good in it? Gina Davis. Gina Davis. One of our finest. It's a weird movie because it doesn't. It's a weird movie if you've read the book Stuart Little. Very different. Very different. Very. It's basically just a movie about a little mouse who wears a sweater and is the child in a family. Yes, much better though than Stuart Little Two, which is about a little mouse who loves shredding on a skateboard. Oh, I forgot about that. Right, and yeah. he fights an eagle played by James Woods. Uh, I've uh, not seen it. Stuart Little Two blows. It's a fucking desecration. It's it's a fucking slap in the face to us little heads. Well, oh, I forgot Jonathan Lipnicki, your favorite, is Jay in Lipnicki. Stuart Little. Yeah, he's really good. In that. But let's get back to praying with anger. Okay, so praying with anger um, feels very autobiographical uh yeah of course i don't know how literal it is i have a theory as to which elements were invented but it is a young man young man named dev raman uh, of indian descent who grew up in the states yep grew up in philly is sent to uh india uh yeah i forget if the uh, city is named. I think it's set in South India yeah. because Tamil is being referenced all the time, which is a language that's spoken in Sri Lanka. It's spoken in South, South India. It's not like the predominant language. So, But everyone speaks in English the entire time. Uh, yeah. They're like maybe overheard dialogue is in another language, but yeah. There are no subtitled scenes, though. Everyone no, speaks no. to him in English and in the scenes where he is in a classroom and people are mocking him for being American, they are teaching their lessons. It's all in English, but that is actually, I think, pretty typical in India because India has many languages and is this colonial nation, you know, that has a lot, you know, the British education system is sort of uh, prevalent in India. Worth worth noting. But it's about this American. Now, the weirdest thing about this movie is Uh like, and it's like the first scene in the movie is like, they're like, oh, this guy... He gets in fights. Okay, so this is he's the part I think temper. was invented. I think this was invented. And then okay. M. Night Shyamalan, who is, he, he's a quite handsome and like. Yeah, he looks good in this He's movie. got a very sweet open face and like, you just, you're, you're just like, this guy's, come on. This guy is the, the least threatening guy I've ever seen. I would also describe his performance as mild mannered to a fault. Incredibly subdued. He's not yeah. a bad actor per se, but not very he's, good. He's not doing much. He's doing very. He little. doesn't overact. I guess is what I. He doesn't know. overact, but some of the scenes where he needs to have a larger emotional range. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, he's playing himself as like a mild mannered guy. I'm skipping ahead here, but there's a scene where he talks to a woman he has a crush on, 
and he has to like convey like five different big emotional right, shifts right, right. from like his love for her, his support to Wait, her. None of this makes sense because they have like four conversations. His confusion is outraged, but he goes yeah. like, "I think you'd make a great dancer." What are you talking about? That's not fair. <laughs> right. That's bullshit. But what I'm saying is he never botches a line reading because it always sounds natural enough, but there's just no range. He like never he nails said. one either. No, he exists never. comfortably in a middle zone. He's fine when he's bantering. When he, there's light comic banter, he's all right. We can say unequivocally he exists on camera. I just like it like... I mean, I'm sure something we'll talk about week after week is yeah. the fact that he kept putting himself in this movie. Yes, he's in most of his films. He, no, he stops at a certain point, and then he's never in them again. Is Lady in the Water the last one? Uh, now I'm going to check. Because that's also his second Obviously, largest role after that. After Lady in the Water, he plays a voice in The Happening, and he's uncredited tiny, tiny, tiny role in The Last Airbender. So the Lady in the Water is the last, and then nothing else. Okay, because Lady in the Water, he made himself like the fifth Yeah, lady. of course, Lady in the Water is the, we'll discuss that. We'll get to that. Um, but this is the only time he made himself the lead character. This is the only time he made something that seemed this autobiographical. All the other films after this feel pretty distanced from his own That's life experience. And I was talking to Sonia uh, Soraya, previous yeah. guest on this show, friend of the show, about this movie and saying, like, it is fascinating that this movie is all about the immigrant experience mm-hmm. of, like, returning to the motherland yes. and, like, reconciling that. With, you know, it's this. it's a personal movie. Yeah. And he never ever wades near this territory again. No, he also never really uh, in any way represents uh, Indian people in the rest of his films. To any degree. Last Airbender does, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Oh, but almost to a fault because they, yeah. yeah, We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into Um, that, yeah. No, it's true, and uh, there's something that feels very cynical about this movie. Yes. In that he is playing on this thing that would make his movie stand out. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, props to him and it's set in India and it's kind of cool. It's a, it's There's a film very about, few movies yes. about this subject. It's a film about Indian culture for Westerners. It's a like, yeah, he's sure. very much the audience eyes where it's like, what? This is crazy how There's, this works in this culture. Right. So my like, night impression's pretty good. It's excellent. Yeah. What? This is crazy. I can't believe this. So here are the main things in this movie, because we're going to talk about both movies. So yeah. we, we, I guess we should. The main things are. There's every, a lot of overlap in these two films, which is interesting. There's so, there is. Because yeah. they're both about religion and they're both about. Crisis of Faith. Uh, absent parent figure. Yes. This movie, the technically this movie is about like, he's like trying to see his dad and then it turns out his dad is dead. It, the movie kind of misses the like emotional weight of that information. Yeah. Because I always thought his dad was dead and then I realized later like, no, I think it's like that he didn't know that at first. Oh, I'm just realizing now that we weren't supposed to know that. I don't think we were supposed to know that immediately. I'm not sure. So this is before he's figured out how a twist works, is what you're saying. I mean, look. <laughs> so here's point, the, but here are the main things in this movie. The here order. are the main things in this movie. One, every Indian person, upon hearing that he's American, asks him who uh, if he knows Michael Jackson. Yeah, funny joke. This is like the one joke in the movie that recurs. Yeah. For some reason, he anyway. Yeah. And I assume it must be anecdotal. He must have been like he must have had this experience. Right. Um, well, is he playing a high school student in this or college? No, college student. student. Okay. He's playing, I think, a 22 year old. Yeah. Maybe doing a, a a year at an Indian university or a year at an Indian like postgraduate thing or something. Right. Uh the Indian education system is very stern. That uh-huh. keeps going they keep going back to that. Yes. Like they see him as being rebellious when I mean he does almost nothing of I mean he asks questions occasionally in class. Mm-hmm. Very little <laughs> rebellion. There's this one scene where the, the, the teacher can't like uh admit that Shakespeare I don't I can't it's stupid. He like has a fight with his teacher about Shakespeare's intent. 
Yeah, well, oh, 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 no. This scene is fascinating because this scene is kind of a Rosetta Stone because um, they're analyzing the text. And then he, he, the argument he brings up is like, well, but weren't these plays meant to be performed? Yeah, yeah. He's talking about how they were meant to be performed. Right. Yeah. And the teacher's like, yeah. And he's like, so then wasn't there explicit purpose to entertain the audience? Right. And the teacher gets offended that he's implying that. That the teacher interprets that he is belittling the work by saying that it is meant to entertain an audience. Right. And he's like, what better purpose is there for art to exist? Right. Like, it's M. Night Shyamalan defending the idea of making populist work. Yeah, I guess so. It's weird. I, I read this as, like, a very no, telling I, scene. I, I get you. Especially okay. growing up as a Spielberg fan, you know? Yeah, sure. Like, he's going, like, not diminishing the works of Shakespeare, but he was saying, like, we shouldn't... The fact that he was able to make these things that people want to pay their money to go see... Yeah. Is as important as like the subtext of whatever he was trying to say. Um, but I want to continue on the motif in this movie. So stern education system. Yes. Uh, women can't be like touched or interacted with in the way he thinks of as like flirting and you know like romance is a totally different topic. The unfair treatment of women, I'd, yeah. I'd say, yeah, yeah. just it, in general. Yeah, right. Because there's other things where like there's like a girl who has a boyfriend her family doesn't approve of, but he's and South like, Indian. He, I can't even remember. Right. Yeah. A lot of information is not clearly conveyed. I also yes. was not paying the the most attention because this movie was not very good. Agreed. It's also very hard to watch because it's this, literally hard to watch. Yeah, like the, with your the, eyes. The YouTube quality is yeah. so bad. Yeah, you you could totally just not do it too. Okay, Ben, which is, we have a contract for a year on this podcast. No, oh, no, no, I know. No, no, I'm just reminding the listeners they don't feel like they have to. They could just listen to this. Okay, but strongly encouraged. But encouraged. guys, let me finish. Okay. Jesus have Christ! To. Sorry. Uh, so there's the, I mean, yeah, the woman. There's some stuff about the treatment of women. A lot, it's pretty mild. There's like happy endings in all, in all cases. But I'd say it's 33 percent of the screen time in this movie is devoted to how unfairly women are treated in this culture. Then there's a little bit about Indian life in the country. They, there's this whole segment where they go to the countryside and they get robbed. Right. And like they're looking for his dad, and then his dad appears as like a shadow on the wall. Yeah. Out coming out of Shyamalan's body's mm-hmm. shadow. Which is a, quite a scene. Uh-huh. And then there's this, like, awful digression at the end into, like, uh, Hindu-Muslim tension yeah. where this kind of, like, riot and almost, like, lynching breaks out. Like, someone's going to get, like, doused in gasoline and lit on fire. Mm-hmm. And is he, like, the bully from class? I, I... Yeah, right? It is the bully from class. Isn't the guy who, like, takes yeah. him out of class and beats And so it's, like, supposed to be a redemptive moment where it's like, oh, look, we're not different, you and I, and, like, here I am protecting you. And, you know. and he shows that by lighting all up this... a single match. Right. There's all this bullying stuff, too. He's, like, bullied all the time in school. Yeah. And he's told just to take it. They're his seniors. Right. They're, they're a bunch of guys with facial hair, and they, like, want him to show respect. Right. They talk a lot about that. That's it's all old line. school British public school shit where it's like, yeah, like sort of institutionalized bullying. But he says that whole thing about like, um, uh, you know, it's it's the greatest strength and the greatest downfall of their culture is respect. That right. They have so much respect for their past and where they came from and all of this. But they also are so obsessed with respect. Right. That they become, you know, blindsided to the present. Right. Um, and he, he says at one point, like, all I want is for them to respect me. Yeah. And the best friend character, who I think this is the best performance in the movie. Without a doubt. I believe he is played by a character called, uh, an actor called Mike Muthu. Really plays charming. Sanjay. Pretty good. Yeah. He's like the native showing him around. I don't know if he's like around. a buddy of Shyamalan's or... Uh... I don't know. Uh, I know the people who play his parents, I think, are like old Bollywood stars. Interesting. One of them, one of them is linked on Wikipedia as, yeah, like, a, you know, an Indian actor. Yeah. Look, 
The movie's not good. It's not a good film. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. No, and you know what? I was like watching it. I wasn't crazy about it. And then I went and Googled the Stephen Holden review, which I might read a line from now. And when he pointed out that he was 22 and he made it, I was like, yeah. oh, you know what? Yeah. I can grade this on a curve. Yeah, like, and also like he gets some nice shots in. It looks really nice. It like is well constructed. Um, where's the line he said? Uh, do, 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 do. If Praying with Anger is an astonishingly accomplished movie for such a young director, it is also emotionally immature. Dev, whom one, whom one might reasonably assume to be a directorial alter ego, churns with introit longings? I don't know what that word is. Oh boy, come on. And hostilities that the story resolves far too easily. At moments of revelation, the screenplay lapses into vague sentimental hyperbole about learning quote-unquote respect and the sense of being quote-unquote home. Yeah, it's... This is what I mean when I say this film feels cynical. It's yes. like... He's making this sort of sort of quasi coming of age movie, this quasi Spielberg absent father movie. Yeah, and he's layering over this like immigrant experience thing. Yes, and I'm assume that's drawing from his own life. Yeah, the weirdest thing, and like it, it's fine. It just uh, no, it all feels a little like uh, formula. I don't know. Agreed. Well, you know, outside of the Indian stuff, which is the coolest stuff. I think the thing that you see here, and it follows into Wide Awake, and it is the through line across all these films, you know? Yeah. Because you go, what? How did this guy end up making these thrillers, these suspenseful movies? He's very, very interested in like audience reaction and manipulation and payoffs, you know? All right. right. Like he's into building moments. I mean, and horror is the clearest cinematic model for that if you get the audience in a certain place and you are going for a specific reaction from everybody you know yeah putting up that tension bottling it releasing it what have you um <laughs> and that's a very spielberg thing spielberg was one of the guys who was able to have these spielberg moments of mm. awe of mm. you know I sadness of of excitement of terror um spielberg's first movie is better than praying with anger no question whether whether it's duel or sugarland express whatever you want to call it yeah both of them yeah. are great um this film feels like someone who has sort of synthesized a lot of the things that Spielberg was good at without figuring out how to get to the meat of how to make a movie actually engaging, you know? Yeah, that's fair. But, I mean, I suppose, like you say, for a 22-year-old, that, ain't, work. that ain't so bad. But it's but it's very algorithmic, you know? And there's, like, an alternation between scenes of, like, big emotional payoff. Yeah. Like, the father shadow scene, there are, like, ten scenes like that in the movie that happen interspersed that feel like they would be the one big payoff scene of a movie that was leading up to that moment. The father shadow scene is so dorky. So dorky. And then there's also... Because it's like his dad... People haven't seen... We'll never yeah. watch this movie. No. It's like he's at uh, at the countryside at his dad's home. His dad is dead. And it's this pretty sparse place. And I guess it's like he realizes his dad actually did care about him by like looking at, a, at things his dad had. It's all very like... Mm-hmm. And then he's like... His, his shadow is reflected on the wall by a candle... And he sees like this vision of another like male fig- shadow figure and exiting his shadow and like standing. And he says like, "Thanks, Dad." Yeah, Shyamalan also doesn't <laughs> nail this scene as an actor. This no, is, he doesn't. This is one of those scenes where you need someone with a real subtle, steady hand to be able to pull this off, and he he does not. So the and the weirdest thing about this movie is that it's called "Praying with Anger." Yes, and it is very much supposed to be about his like temper. Right. And there's this scene where he loses it and like starts wailing on some guy who was bullying him. You Never know. seems angry. Super even killed the yeah. whole movie. And like the moral God, the I'm of the so movie, angry at you. I could punch you in the face. There are these scenes of prayer and devotion in the movie. And yeah. it's like he's saying, like, you know, there's so much emotion in prayer. And like, I pray with anger. And I, 
That's the end it, payoff of the movie. He realizes uh, you have to pray with emotion. It doesn't have to be respect. You can pray with anger. Uh, you know, you can be at odds with your culture and with your religion and what have you. So I'd say if there's a, a the biggest letdown, we we agree. It's it's Shyamalan's performance. He, he's hurting the movie there the most. Yeah, and I I was watching this. I mean, look, it's an, it's not a great film. You no, know, it's no. far off from being a great film. Yeah, but I did watch this and go like, oh, if you maybe even swapped the two lead actors. This movie would improve 25%. Would you say that this movie is better than Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> Another film we reviewed. Oh, God. What about The Judge? I think it might be better than The Judge. It's better than The Judge, no question. Better than Revenge of the Sith, that's really tough. It's, I mean, it's it's two, two difficult movies to compare. Yeah, and it's two people at absolute opposite ends of their career, too. True. You know? Um, I mean, I was, I'm just I'm messing around. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said earlier, and we should move on. How long have we been going, Ben? 30 minutes. Yeah, so we should move on to Wide Awake. But, you know, there's no movies about this. The namesake is one that I think of uh, with Kalpan based on the Jhumpa Lahiri book. Yeah, I mean, on the Wikipedia entry. Even that got, like, almost no release. On the Wikipedia entry for um, Praying With Anger, I think they list, like, the only six yeah, they do. Yeah. And like all of them are films that got no release. Right. You know, that were probably more just like home video releases. But that's what's kind of frustrating about this movie is because you feel him taking it out of a more specific, detailed area to try to make it more accessible to American audiences, you know? Like here he is making like a $750,000 NYU thesis film and you already see his like crowd-pleasing instincts in play. Right. Where he wants to make something that like frames it all in a way that's very easily digestible. Right. And it's like you'd rather see the film that's like more quiet and introspective yeah. and more character based. Instead, it's like this hook of the anger thing, which is like I feel like has to be an invention. I cannot imagine M. Night Shyamalan ever getting in a fist fight. And like scene three of Me the neither. movie, right? Like the first two scenes, people go like, oh, this kid's angry. Scene three, he explains himself, which is like he got in one fight. Yeah, he's like it was one. It was a total misunderstanding. A guy like tripped over and hit his head on something else. Like he got so badly injured that he got stuck with the rap, but it was an accident. Like he was like, oh, I pushed yeah. him once, and it's, then he happened to. It's fall a monologue that is eerily similar to the awful monologue in uh, Garden State about killing the, the like uh, yeah, uh, yeah, or yeah, handicap paralyzing or paralyzing or whatever, the, the, yes. the, the, the uh, dishwasher where he's like one in a million chance, yeah. like that that he lands this way, yeah. Uh, anyway, Zach Raff was clearly movie. a big Prime with Hanker fan. Yeah, obviously, he's just ripping um, it off. They, they so are somewhat right. similar movies, actually. Um, there, there is the scene is in it this. Better than Garden State. <sighs> I really dislike Garden State. Yeah, uh, I think it's a bad film. I'm not even trying to pick. Whenever one. I have an epiphany, I go to the dump and I yell. Yeah, good job. You know what scene I thought was weird in Praying with Anger? When he's like, he has the moment with the shadow dad, and he's like, "Thank you, dad." And then he takes his headphones and he puts them over the shadow, and he's like, "This song will change your life." You know what? I never got why I never got why that was the scene that pissed everyone off in Garden State because it was the scene that pissed everyone off. I yeah. mean, there were others as well. I just think it's such an underwhelming song. It's not even no, like it I is. dislike it's the shins, change but your it's life, like, and it's just like yeah, yeah. I don't know if you say like this song's gonna change your Look, life. It should Garden be like State, Beethoven's Fifth. Garden know? State is a movie made by and about a person who thinks that song by the Shins will change your life. Right, that's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem. It feels like the most transparent moment of the filmmaker, like speaking to the audience. Okay, so M. Night Shyamalan already the crowd pleasing instincts in making a small independent thesis film. He wants to make something that can appeal to everyone. Yeah, and it, it hamstrings the movie, and he steps back. His next film, Wide Awake, he does not appear in at all as an actor. And we should say. Uh, according to Wikipedia and according to 
Uh, Praying with Anger made $1.4 million at the box office. Really? That's what, that's what they say. I'm guessing I, mostly overseas. It was barely released here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It made more money than Wide Awake is what I'm saying. Yes. So Wide Awake was barely released. I don't know the full nature of the story, but Harvey Weinstein at this point was becoming sort of a real power player and would buy up a so, lot of things, especially if he saw someone who had potential. It was he, a script he'd written. Right. Yeah. And he'd just go like, oh, this guy's got some heat. Let me sign him up. And if he wasn't happy with how the movie turned out, he would show well, it. Apparently, he interfered on set a lot. Yes. With with filming. Yes. He interferes uh, on yeah. set. He interferes in the editing room. But if he looked at the end result, whether and it was in, his And fault, in the marketing. And in the marketing, hardcore. If he wasn't happy with how it turned out, he would just fucking shelf that shit. So there are a ton of, like, Weinstein movies, Miramax movies that come out between 95 and 2000 yeah. that were shot. Two to three years And also, earlier. like, uh, he would make uh, foreign acquisitions, like Junking Express. Like, there were a lot of situations yes. or hero where he would, like, buy a movie that was a big hit overseas. Yeah. And then refuse to release it. Forever. Yeah, because he wanted it to come out in a more condensed form. Like, he wanted to edit it for an American audience or yeah. something. It's so weird. Because I don't want to just, like, whatever. Harvey Weinstein. They called him Harvey Scissorhands yeah, at the they time. Yeah, they did. I mean, he like, cut everything out. He has such a reputation in the 90s as this monster. Yeah. And, like, now that's kind of receded because now it's just like, oh, Harvey, you know, he works with Quentin Tarantino. He does, you know, he does sort of... He is also a lot less powerful than he used to be. I yeah. mean, his company, there was a New York Times article recently about how they barely have the money to mount the Oscar campaign for Carol that he wants to. And it used to be the whole... The whole thing about Miramax was that they would get you Oscar nominations. Yes. They'd throw their weight behind you. They'd mm-hmm. campaign like crazy. They won Shakespeare in Love Best Picture like yeah. in a feat, like unbefore, like, you know, like it they was crazy. They got Chocolat nominated for Best Fucking Picture. They got some They got some movies nominated. I mean, there was a thing where literally, I think for 10 years, yeah, they never didn't get a Best Picture nomination. Correct. And even something like Chocolat, it's like, okay, you got Chocolat in, but also Judy Dench got in for Supporting Actress? Like, Chocolat hey, got like six nominations? She's charming. Yeah, she's always charming. She's one of our most charming screen presidents, All David. Right, no need to yell. I just don't like you implying that I'm I'm not susceptible to the charms of Judy Dench. I get it. She's real charming. She's a lovely lady. Love Judy Dench. She is not in Wide Awake, but she's Wide not. Awake has an all-star cast. Really good cast, actually. Here are who is in Wide Awake. Okay. Dennis Leary, first, first build in one of the most perplexing performances I've ever seen in a Hollywood film. Yeah. He is playing a character who is clearly in the grip of a major depressive episode. Mm-hmm. It is never referred to or spoken of. His character does nothing in the movie. It's supposed to be his father, right, who has died? Or is it Dan Delaney's father? Is that ever clear? I believe it's her father. Okay. There is no... No, I think that he hates his marriage and his children and his life and, like, every day thinks about just, like, turning the car on in the garage and killing himself. Like, he is so subdued. This is Dennis Leary, who, this is 95. He's, like, the live wire comedian. You know, the guy who no comes out cancer. and starts, like, barking at everyone. I'm an asshole. Yeah. 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 I smoke 80 cigarettes a day. Yeah. You know, and, like, in this movie, it's, like, I don't know if Shyamalan is saying, like, you're, you know, you're sad or you're you're a bit of a, yeah. you know, nebbishy guy and you should just. But he is crazy. Okay, can I throw an alternate theory? It's crazy. This performance like boggled my mind. Mind-boggling. Also, he is maybe the 10th most important character in the film. He's first built. Yeah, I don't know why he's first built, except that I guess Rosie O'Donnell gets the and, and I think Robert Loja gets like a with or something. So it's like... No, I think Robert Loja's just straight up third. 
Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like, obviously Joseph Cross should be first billed, but he's a kid, so he yeah. gets shoved down. So it might have just been Dennis Leary was the highest paid. I think they go Leary, Delaney. Because Leary, Delaney, Joseph Dana Delaney Cross. plays the mother. Uh, no, then Robert Loggia. Oh, yeah. The way it was in the opening credits, I believe they take uh, no, you're right, Joseph you're Cross right. and the other young the other actor. young actor. I and they give them a split. Uh, Timothy Reifsnyder. They yeah. give them a split and introducing. introducing. Yeah. And, and then, then they go, go on to, like, like Cameron, Cameron Manheim. Manheim. Dan Loria, who I thought was very charming in this film, the dad from Wonder Years. Yeah, uh, he's he's good in his in his one scene, in his one like scene of dialogue. He's got two. I, he's got I the only, one where he talks about the pews, and the one where he's giving the uh, sermon, and he tells one. him to sing loudly. Oh yeah, that one. He's got two I, good I, scenes. I, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, and uh, and Julia Stiles is in this movie. Oh right, Julia Stiles, one of her first film performances, playing the older sister of our main character, Joshua Beale, played by Joseph Cross, who now is like. You know, he's like a working actor. He was in Milk. He's great he in the Milk. Photographer, really he great. He plays. A, he's a thin, sort of little guy. He's like yeah. a little guy. He's and a little he's, guy. He's played a lot of gay characters. He was in, he was the lead of Running with Scissors, which is a movie that right. no one talks about anymore, but existed. Yes, uh, the Ryan Murphy's it adaptation did, of the Augusta Burroughs. It did. It exists. It's crazy. It, yeah. it totally existed, and people were like, "Oh, and Benning's getting an Oscar nomination for this. Like, this is Ryan Murphy's." And then it just like. Bombed, bombed, like with critics, with you know audiences, and just disappeared from memory. They definitely thought it was going to be the like star of a it. nine major categories film. Yes, he has like he a ton of sex with Joseph Fiennes in it. Uh, he was in Lincoln too. I forgot. Yeah, he's he in, in Flags and Her Father, yeah. Her Father's. He's in Lincoln. He's around. He's a good you know, actor. He, he's a decent actor. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like him a lot. He's not a big star. No, he's a good working actor. Um, so this movie takes place at a uh, Catholic school. Yep, in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, a very. A gorgeous school. Amazing. The best thing this movie has going for it is this school set, which is all these like big wooden staircases and all, all these places for kids to run around and like these big open green like uh, landscapes. Can I throw out a theory right now? Shoot. I think Shyamalan's strongest skill set as a filmmaker is location. Yeah, his sure. sense of environment. All of his well, films, especially in these early films, where he's really using like Sixth yeah. Sense, Unbreakable for sure. Uh, but signs. all of them, whether he's building them or he's locating them, he gets amazing locations. He builds really good environments, and they're very much about the characters in relation to those environments. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so uh, wide awake, uh, little boy, Catholic school, Philadelphia. Dennis Leary plays his father. My theory on the Dennis Leary performance is they went, Dennis, hey, straight offer. They want you to play the dad in this movie. Mm. He's like, great. And they're like, okay, they're offering you this much money. And he's like, great. And they're like, one note from the director. He doesn't want you to do any of the Dennis Leary stuff. Uh, Yeah. And then Dennis Leary was like, I don't, I can't, I can't do any of the Dennis Leary stuff. And they're like, nope, don't be Dennis Leary at all. And then he was left with nothing else to do. So I think the performance reads as someone going through a complete existential breakdown because he's a husk of a man. Because Leary was like, I don't know, what do people who Look, aren't Dennis Leary do? Do they walk? Do they wear glasses? What do they? That, yeah, what do non-Dennis Leary people do? do but they I mean, talk also and, like there's movies like um, the Thomas Crown Affair and like these movies he's making later. around the time. No, I mean, well, he makes it later. I'm saying this is the first no, I'm film. Just, he made a lot of movies where if he's not being funny Dennis Leary, yeah. he seems a little lost and Agreed. is really quiet. Agreed. Yeah. And more so than him not being funny in this, they're like, be the opposite of your stage persona. <laughs> yeah. Like you could ha- get Dennis Leary in a serious performance playing a like an irascible hothead. Yeah, 
You know, and I'd be as like, he does in like Small Soldiers or right. whatever, where it's like he breezes in and does three crazy scenes. Right, and he's not super funny in that, but he's not trying to be. But they use his anger, yeah, his just bottled energy, rage, energy. right? Yeah. yeah, and this they're like be as milk toast as you can possibly okay. be. But I want to say something else. This movie is milk toast. It makes the milk toast choice every time. Choice yes, every time. Yes, like it. This is the weirdest fucking movie. This okay. was one of my favorite movies when I was a child. I saw this in theaters because I was a huge Rosie O'Donnell fan. I would pray. You wait. You saw this movie more than once. No, you just saw it once. I just saw it once. Okay. I just saw it once. Um, I, I mean, growing up, I think we had literally three VHSs, so there were very few movies I'd watch multiple times. Oh, so you had it on VHS? No, we didn't. I'm oh, okay. saying oh, I saw I it one time in theaters, but I loved wait, it. What were your VHSs? Uh, Toy Story. Sure. Uh, my brother had Space Jam, and then the Muppet movie. Yeah. Well, there you go. Those I mean, are the three that big kind ones. Of explains it. I mean, Mary Poppins. I could name like a couple other, but like, yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, I was a huge Rosie O'Donnell fan. I would pray to get sick so I could stay home and watch the Rosie O'Donnell show. That was, like, a big thing. Every morning I'd be like, I think I'm sick. I think I'm sick. This is when she was not on The View, when she just had her talk show. The Rosie O'Donnell show, right. The morning syndicated. Koosh balls, motherfucker. She launched Tickle Me Elmo. Do you know that? I do, yeah. She was a fucking trend maker. And this was before, I believe she was even out, right? Yep. And so she was, and it was before the view where she became more of a political figure. Yep. And this was probably before I knew that gay people existed. I mean, possibly. I, it's when Rosie O'Donnell was like the kid friend, one of the like 10 kid friendly actors. She was the Billy we, like, Crystal of the Kids' Choice Awards. Where she we hosted every year. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. And it was like, there's Rosie O'Donnell again. And like Tarzan is kind of the end of that, where she plays yeah. the the buddy in that. But she was like a friend to kids. She was like the adult, like like uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? She was almost like the uh, intermediary between adults and children. She was like, sure, I'm I'm a grown up, but not really, you know. She plays a small role in this movie. She does, but that's all they need to take me out of my. I see. So apartment that's why you saw it wide awake. Yes. And, like, at this point, I was sort of primed for this because Harriet the Spy also, she was at the forefront of the marketing campaign for Harriet the Spy. Mm. She plays Harriet's babysitter. Mm. She gets fired at minute 15 and comes back at the end. She's in maybe 10 minutes of the film, right? But they present the movie as, like, Rosie O'Donnell, like, the poster was Rosie O'Donnell holding a magnifying glass, you know? And it was, like, Rosie O'Donnell, Harriet the Spy. The poster is just Harriet and Rosie O'Donnell. Sure. It was the first Nickelodeon movie. Rosie O'Donnell was very tied to Nickelodeon at that time, was hosting the Kids' Choice Awards. The the show was like, I mean, that was the big thing. She would sort of dub what the next hot Christmas toy was going to be every year on her talk show. Um, so I think, you know, the years between 1995 and 1998 were when that really blew up. And so by the time Weinstein decided to release this movie, he really pushed Rosie O'Donnell on the campaign. She is the only other person on the poster. I right. remember the TV ads were all the Rosie O'Donnell moments cut together. And it was like, it's a movie about a little boy and his crazy nun teacher. Well... Yeah, who loves baseball. Loves baseball. Really pushes the fact that she loves baseball, which is in, I think, one scene in the movie, she like uses a very broad baseball metaphor to the describe- The opening scene, she's like, so Judas like, is on the mound, the Jesus is here right. pitching, right, whatever. Um, which I think is funny. No, I think it's not funny. David, I think it's funny. But the other thing is, like, the posters- She's blowing bubble gum, is that right? <laughs> no, he's like, <laughs> it's more like it's like- like, well, let me try and find an actual poster. <laughs> yeah. There's the poster where he's standing on a crate and right. she's next to him and like giving him a hug. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and I think the the ads too. They focused on sort of like, do you remember your first kiss? Or here, here's a tagline. Here's a tag. Here's okay. the tagline. Okay. Meeting your best friend, finding your favorite teacher, having your first crush. Remember what it felt like to be 
Wide Awake, a comedy that will raise your spirits and keep you laughing. Eh. No. Uh, this is another tagline I found here. First kisses. Yeah. Right. Outrageous pranks. Too, yeah. A teacher with a killer fastball. To survive this year, Joshua Beale will have to stay wide awake. Um, so both of these uh, taglines heavily incorporate the teacher, the relationship to the teacher. Yeah, there's... <laughs> She's got like three scenes. She's not presented as his favorite teacher in the movie. She's presented as a, a teacher she, he has. Yeah. I mean, she she's a nun who is, you know, it's nice to him. There's the one scene where she really like reaches out to him about his grandfather. Okay, so this is the plot of this okay, film. So the, as, in, in so much as there is, is a plot. This is a kid's movie. Yes. It's, it, and I'm not even talking about the marketing. This yeah. is a kid's movie. This is a movie for children. And but, M. Night Shyamalan uh, was quoted as saying that his goal was to make a comedy that could make you cry. Yeah. Well, he failed. Because it's not funny and it doesn't make you cry. I loved it. As a child, <laughs> I cried six times. So this is a movie about a kid who lost his grandfather to yep. cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. Played by Robert Loja in Flashback. Yeah. Who we recently lost here in the real it's world. R.I.P. Robert Loja. Um, Robert Loja, one of the most like irascible, difficult actors, apparently, really, like you know, was like fired from The Sopranos almost immediately because everyone hated him so much. I love the guy, but but yeah. I also love okay. notorious for being quite a quite a wise ass. You know? uh, as is Dennis Leary, as is Rosie O'Donnell. It's true. A he, lot of big personalities. He hired three people who are known for being outspoken, hard asses, and was like, by the way, tone it way down. Yeah, I mean, Loja's fine in the movie. He's, I think he's nice. I, he's like. Uh, uh, son, I'm scared too. Um, so he has he had died of cancer, Bone and, cancer. and uh, little little Josh, uh, that's his name, right? Yeah, Joshy Cross, right? Uh, well, it's Joseph Cross. Oh, Joseph Cross. I think the character's called Josh. I think uh, so too. Yeah, Josh Beale. Uh, is sad about that, and he goes to Catholic school. So he wants to figure out if his grandpa went to heaven. I guess. Yeah, he wants the, to like get in touch with God. The main it's crux the sort of the of film is sensible idea. He can't get over his grandfather's death. His right. grandfather was his best friend, and he decides in September that year. The film, much like Rushmore, he, he has is, month placards. He is is ten, I think, ten years old. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he decides his goal is he wants to find God, and he's very literally precocious. find God, very precocious. So, the, and then there's all these references to things that we don't see, which is like apparently he's exploring a lot of religions and a lot of uh, rituals. At one point, he tells Rosie O'Donnell that he's not free that night because he has to light Hanukkah candles. Yeah, and like he's teaches kids how praying, to like, yeah, you know meditate the, at a party to the yeah. Easter. You know, right. he's doing like Muslim prayer. I mean, but it's all we don't see it. Yeah, we see them meditating at the party. I forgot about that. Like, you, uh, yeah, you skipped the most important part, David. Did I? Yeah, which is the beginning of the film. His parents try to wake him up, and he goes right back to sleep. Yeah, there's these it meta, these like sequences. I think there's two or three of them where maybe he, like five or twelve. They they like walk him around like a little yeah. sleepy robot that's like falling. They up. like yeah. wake him up over and over. He keeps on falling back asleep. So they have to like drag him over by his arms, are like weekend at Bernie style. Are you saying this was a scene that you liked as a kid? Because you're Loved smiling. Because like I watched this scene. Stone face, <laughs> baffled at why this was included in the David, film. They weaken it, brings him over to the sink, and then they have to put the brush in his hand and then hold his right. hand and then okay. brush so his teeth. So this is a good way. But to the th- movie's called Wide Awake, and he's not. He's yeah. so this is a good way to talk asleep, about this movie. David, he's this fast mo- asleep. All right, be quiet. This movie has a lot of whimsy. Oh my god, like, so whimsical. But it is not whimsical. It's so whimsical. But like, David. think now. Do you think it's no? Whimsical? I think it's a bad movie. <laughs> but as a child, I loved it so well, much. It's good to hear that as a kid you liked it because I guess. That was the idea. I think I was the <laughs> one person the target audience for this movie. Can I tell you the things I liked as a child? Yeah. Okay. I was obsessed with Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. Fascinated by death, haunted by it, could not stop talking about I it. I was a little bit too. All no, maybe the not. time. Yeah. All the time. Would not stop talking about death. 
I remember like waking my parents up in the middle of the night to ask them questions about what happened when you die, what dying feels like, like all, all these things, right? Whew, boy, what a, a kid. A terrible, a nightmare. My mother, when she dropped me off at preschool, the other mothers would be like, we don't know how you do it. You're, you have such a tough job. That kid's, that kid's a fucking handful. He never stops overanalyzing movies and talking about that. Um, and they were like, you should have a podcast. Your son should have a podcast. And she was like, I don't know what podcasts are. And they're like, just wait like 15 years. He'll make sense as a person. Move on to whatever Obsessed you with death. Say. Very precocious. Drove my teachers crazy. And like... Uh, like Kind of like Joseph Cross's character in Wide Awake? Yes. A hundred percent. So you're I was saying like, you saw yourself in this character. This was like the only movie in which I was like, that's me. This this no fun movie. Yep. <laughs> that is is short but feels long. Yep, much Real like my childhood. Long. Much like my childhood. Cuz I think the running time is uh is 88 minutes. So, yeah. you know, not a long movie, but uh felt like 4 hours. When I think it's telling that I watched as a kid and I was like, this is the first time I've seen me reflected up on screen. And I watch as an adult and I'm like, this kid's driving me crazy. This kid is so annoying. So this kid's Cro- driving me Cross nuts. Cross can read the lines. I think he's very good. I do not think he's very good because he doesn't seem like a kid at all. This he is definitely exactly can read what I like, acted like well, as a child. you sound like a real piece of shit. I was a real piece of shit. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it really, like Shyamalan like, really burdens him with all this dialogue, which is crazy because he has all these other actors around who could probably... You know, take some of the dialogue, and he doesn't give him anything. The structure of almost every scene is he sits there looking, like, consternated, and then someone comes over to him, and they're like, what's up? And then he says something very profound, in quotes. Like, he's his existential musings on, like, right. well, but if this happens, then what about this? Like, every scene is him wrestling with a deep thought, and the adults are like, kid, just be a fucking kid. Just be a kid. Also, every scene, like you say, is just a boring dialogue scene. Okay. Where there's some, maybe sometimes there's action happening, like they're at gym or they're in class, like you know, school things are happening, right? But like nothing, nothing is happening. This is where I disagree because I think my biggest complaint against the movie is the exact opposite of what you're saying. I think this movie is going like even further in the direction of this very like strategic, algorithmic, like manipulate the audience kind of like goal that Shyamalan has in his career to be this Spielberg level like you know, puppeteer of audience emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the first 30 minutes where they set up most of the basic stuff, yeah, I would say, what, this movie's like 80 minutes long? 88. 88. Probably about 85, you know, minus credit. Right. Yeah. I'd say there Probably are- about 80 minus those fucking intertitles where it's like, December answers or whatever. Go on. Which, I mean, clearly Rushmore, you know, Wes Anderson was was tipping the cap as an homage to Wide Awake. It feels like that was really his big influence there. But um, the remaining 40-so minutes of the film are just a series of emotional catharsis scenes back to back to back to back. Like, for the last 40 minutes of this movie, every scene feels like it would be the last scene of a different movie. Yeah. So they set up all these different things to pay off. So he's got this best friend who's a daredevil, and he's not afraid of anything. Right. And he's the one who pushes him to do everything. And uh, this character, who's played by uh, what Timothy Rice Center, is called yeah. Dave. Dave. Dave O'Brien, is that right? Dave O'Hara. Dave O'Hara. Um, you know what I liked in this movie, too? All the scenes where they're, like, taking roll call or, like, lining up the students, they keep on calling out one kid whose name is Newman. There you You noticed go. that? I did not. I noticed that. I mean, even if I noticed it, was fully locked into that fact, the movie is already just, like, bled out of my mind, so I, I yeah. I was having a I ball. I watched it over the weekend. was like, having ago, a yeah. ball. Uh, Dave O'Hara turns out to be epileptic. And so there's like the big scene where then he 
goes to check in on him, sees him passed out, bloodied in underneath the stairs where his parents don't notice. That scene is insane. Insane. Because it comes like one hour, 20 minutes in. We, uh, let's, let's go back a little in this movie. Okay. Should we? Yeah. I mean, let's barrel into the epilepsy no, I don't scene. think we need to go back. He, I'm so creeped out by the disembodied voice of Ben Hosley. Um, he's obsessed with his grandfather who's dead. He wants to find God. The basic threads that are set up, like these 17 different things are like, okay, his constant searching for God in some form. Right. Asking every adult around him questions about what death is like, about where God is, what form he exists in, right? Right. Then there is his best friend, who's this daredevil, who's not afraid of anything, who pushes him to do a lot of stuff. There is um, th- this fat kid at school yeah, who really wants to hang out with him. Yeah, he keeps asking, is it tomorrow? And you're like, what? It's this thing he keeps saying to him. It is, it is weirdly profound in a sort of there is no spoon kind of way where it's like, it's not actually profound, but like it is kind of. Hit me so hard as a kid. Is it tomorrow? Is it, it tomorrow? It becomes clear that what's happened is every day this fat kid asks Josh, hey, can we hang out today? And Josh is like, no, tomorrow. Yeah. Like, can right. we play? He says, can we play today? Right. He wants to hang out with the kid and Josh is like. Tomorrow. Yeah, and so he's like, is it tomorrow? And then every day the kid asks him, is it tomorrow? And he goes like, and then there's this, no, it's today, tomorrow's tomorrow. There's this really weird scene where he squishes himself into a turnstile with Josh. They're at a museum on a field trip. And the, it's like they can't get them out of the turnstile, even though it's very obvious that you could just sort of pull them out. <laughs> he sees two skinny kids go in together. And then the fat yeah. kid's like, I want to be friends with Josh, goes in after him. You're right. The thing you need is an adult who is taller than a child to reach under the armpits of the child and lift the kid up vertically uh, yeah. but instead they have to like get they have to get the fire department a handyman has to like come and unscrew the thing from the hinges and <laughs> we don't see this happen everyone's laughing at him but they do say that that they need to get no, like I two know, people I know. 30 minutes I know, I know. of hard work um everyone's laughing at them and then the fat kid's like oh and he's like what and he's like i think i'm gonna blow chunks right you think you're there's about to be like a stand by me like barf scene but then that doesn't happen either right and so in the following scene... Things don't happen a lot. No, but there's so much payoff. That's what's weird. So the following scene right after this is the fat kid sitting on a bench alone. I hated this And I scene. say, I, you know, I refer to him as just the fat kid because that's all this character is. He's a fat kid that constantly... Yeah. He's caked, I don't remember his name. Caked in sweat, right? Yeah. They just yeah. like applied glycerin to his forehead at the beginning of every single shot. And... um. He's sitting on a bench alone, and you hear, like, ADR of other kids going, like, man, look at him. What a fatty. Oh, my God. How fat's he going to be when he grows up? Stupid fatty. Fat kid. And Go he's, like, on, crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's when Josh is nice to him. Yeah. Joseph Cross comes up, and he's like, hey, you know what? It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. <laughs> Today is tomorrow. Didn't like that scene. Loved it. Made me cry as a child. Here's a scene I did kind of like. Okay. So the idea is he keeps trying to get in touch with God. Now, the real idea of this movie is his fucking parents, who are having their own crisis, I think. Yeah. And uh, they, they're just like, this kid is so annoying. Like, he's in such a daze. He needs to get over this. How do we help him? There's a scene where they go to a toy store to buy a present for his friend for the birthday party. Yeah. And he goes like, I used to think this place was like a world of wonder and magic where anything could happen. And now, and she's like, what is it now? And he's like, it's just plastic and paint. That is verbatim a thing I totally would have said when I was six. I mean, it's just... Anyway. I'm not defending really that. No. I was so annoying as a child. But, but I, go I mean, like, they're bummed out because they're like, pain. what's the matter with this kid? And um, God, I had They all soul. sleep in a bed oh. together. All four of them sleep in a bed together. There's in one, one scene. scene. 
Julia Stiles <laughs> is in the bed with them Julia too. Stiles Julia Stiles, Stiles otherwise, who's terrific in the film and yeah. easily the best performance, is just playing kind. Of, she's just like rolling her eyes and she like calls him Smurf. She's constantly chatting yeah, on the phone, on the phone with her phone friends. About, and she says one point like, "Oh, he liked the outfit." No yeah. teenager has ever said outfit. Really, he liked the outfit. Outfit. Yeah, I don't uh, know. It seemed like he that's liked a my great outfit. outfit. You're uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where. She's at the girls' school, the corresponding girls' school, which is mm-hmm. like across the way from the boys' school that he goes to. Yes. And a cardinal comes to speak at the school. And so mm-hmm. Josh sneaks in to talk to this cardinal, I guess thinking like the cardinal will be a direct line to God. Right. And um, he like walks, sneaks into the bathroom and the cardinal is in there and he's like shaky and he needs pills. I forget what it is. He needs like some kind of like stabilizing they, they don't medicine. say what it is. Yeah. And like Josh is like horrified at the sight of like a mortal, you know, yeah. uh, religious figure. It's a weird scene. It's kind of good. Yeah, and I like that scene earlier. There's a lot of flashbacks to Robert Loggia, and there's one where Loggia, Loggia. There's a uh, one scene where they're sitting in the pews together, and like the priest says, like, okay, uh, and and whoever might be sickly right now, uh, come up and get your communion or whatever. I don't know how religion works, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's like, if you're sick, come up. We'll give you a wafer. We'll pat you on the head. <laughs> and a woman gets up and walks over, and he's like, Mrs. Wilkinson from next door. I didn't know she was sick. Oh my God, I couldn't tell. And then Robert Loja stands up, right. walks over, and that's when he realizes that his grandfather, who's his best friend, who he idolizes, he starts playing who football played, because they his grandfather. Play catch. There's a, a scene where they, 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 there's a race. Which is, a, talk about a big emotional catharsis scene. That would be talk the about last a scene, scene. That made me just fall asleep. That would be the last scene in most other movies. That'd be what you're building up to. So they keep cool. on, even though you know well, he's gonna dead at this point. We're going to get to the last point. scene of this movie. I know. And guys, if you're bored by us talking about this, please listen and wait for us to talk about the last scene of this movie because holy for the twist. shit. And this episode might seem boring, but the twist is the that twist this is, is going to pay off on nine to ten talking. incredible episodes in the rest of this miniseries. So insane. No, because we're laying the groundwork of who no, this I guy know, is. I know. I really do think this is going to be a great miniseries. No, uh, of course. This seems very academic, this episode. But we're it's like we're looking at the roots no, yep. of the tree. Keep talking. Okay. Flashback to a day where, I don't know, field day, whatever, for the Catholic school. And there's a race. And he falls down on the ground. And his grandpa is real sick and old at this point. And the nun gets up and she's like, okay, and the first place winner of the race is. And Robert Loja taps her and he's like, my grandson hasn't finished the race yet. He doesn't say it as scary as you're making it sound like. I wish he had done it in Lost, Lost Highway voice, you know, <laughs> where he's like, hey. <laughs> but uh, my, my biggest, because I loved Robert Loja because he was in Independence Day. Right. And he has the best line reading of the movie, better than anything Will Smith or Jeff Goldblum says, which is crazy. Which is he says, when, "Welcome to Earth." <laughs> when uh, the alien is invading Bill Pullman's mind, mm-hmm. and no, actually, he doesn't have the best. It's Adam Baldwin who says, Ha-ha! It, "Isn't it?" Yeah, I think so. Because it's is this glass bulletproof? And I think Adam Baldwin says, "No, sir." And then they shoot yeah. the yeah, yeah. Which also like the glass should be bulletproof or whatever. Yeah, right. This is Area Fifty One. It's underneath the White House. Come on. Um, Robert Loge is like my grandson hasn't finished yet, and so yeah, they right, right. they finish the race, and the whole point is his grandfather makes him feel like I don't I don't care like he's definitively lost because everyone else has crossed the finish line, he's on the ground crying, and he like runs into his grandfather's arms, and it's like this is the last moment I ever want to see I'd ever see him. I knew I was running towards whatever. It's a good yeah, it's a good scene of like a memory. I mean, it's not a good scene, but like it should be a good scene of like right. This is this is my memory of this man. But right. that scene doesn't have that much emotional impact because we know he's dead at that point. We've seen like seventeen different flashbacks of him showing like heroism in how he faces his mortality. You know? I guess so. And there's a scene where he's like 
don't worry about me. I'll be fine. I'm in the hands of God. Yeah, he's like, aren't you scared that you're going to die? He's like, he's aren't like, you scared? And he's like, all right, I am scared. Yeah. And you're like, and okay, they cry all together. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fine. This is the weirdest kids movie. So, so it's oh, a kids God. movie. It was just designed for me. I was the only it's, person yeah. meant to see this. It's movie. a kids movie that is far too, I think, like a, a dark in content to be for kids. Not that there aren't kids movies, obviously, that deal with this kind of yeah. stuff, but they tend to deal with it in a more metaphorical way that I think kids would have more access to. Right. Like this is a kids movie for weirdos like Griffin, yeah. or maybe I guess for kids who have had this experience of losing someone when they're younger. Maybe. Yeah, I lost they no one probably, when I was long, younger. I was just obsessed I think with death. those kids might find this movie to be cheap I think and so too. cloying. I right. think they'd be able to deal with it. Right. I was a kid who <laughs> was trying to wrestle with death as an abstract concept like, that I had no immediate relationship to. There are to. movies like My Neighbor Totoro that are about like children being confronted with mortality at right. a young age. Or The Road Trip is also another film that I think... Walt Becker's obsessed with mortality as an auteur. That's one of his dominant themes, David. I'd just taken a break while you uh, said all the road trip stuff. There's uh, another plot you, line. Like, you... I think you legitimately threw Emily off last week when you started talking about the road trip. Yeah, I think she couldn't tell if I was being serious <laughs> yeah, or not. Yeah. And the answer uh, is I was being serious. Sort of. So there's a scene uh, when he when he breaks into the girls' school to try to see the, uh, what, what, what's his... Where you think hijinks are the cardinal. Yeah, yeah Card- the cardinal. Cardinal law from Spotlight. Oh, no, scene... it's not him. <laughs> the scene earlier, right prior to that, he and his best friend are looking at uh, Sports Illustrated's uh, swimsuit issue. Yeah. Oh, my God. Where he and Dave are mm-hmm. talking about the models, and Dave says something like, you, you have like a biological reaction. There's, there's this line about a biological reaction. He's like, what are you supposed to do? I, right. I don't know if I'm into girls yet. And he's Where they're like, talk- I mean, I guess you'll they're know what about- happens. You're supposed to feel a biological reaction. He's yeah. like, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know, but I think you know it when you feel it. And then he breaks into this girls' school to try to meet the uh, Cardinal Law uh, and he um, uh, like runs headfirst into a girl, and she's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Uh, uh." And she's like, "Is something wrong with you?" And he's like, "I think I'm having a biological reaction." Yeah, this, this girl is very whoever this actress is. She's very charming, winning, like, charming, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice little girl. He keeps on saying this. He becomes obsessed with this girl. He goes to the birthday party. He gets into this deep talk about death with her. He says the biological reaction thing a couple times. What? Oh, there's that scene. Guys, what's the biological reaction? No idea. A big stinking boner. Oh, I was kidding boner. when I said no. He's idea. got a big stinky boner. Nice. Sure, it's a very. He's got to learn about boner sometime. Yep. Uh, very weird <laughs> to just hear you say that and not look at you in the eyes when you say kids got to learn about boner sometimes. He talks to this girl and she's like, "What is it?" And he's like, "I couldn't tell you." And she's like, "What?" And he's like, "I think you're the prettiest girl in the whole world, and I get a biological reaction whenever I see you." Like he says something like that. I hate this scene. He like confesses his love to her. They are ten. That's totally something I would have done when I was 10. Um, and then later in the film, they go, like, they send them over, the boys over to their sister, Catholic girl's school, and they're like, this is the big ceremony they prep all year to do. Right. Be respectful. And the girl walks out, and uh, Dave is like, is that your girlfriend? He's like, yeah. And she's like, wow, she's beautiful. And at the end of the ceremony, which is like they're, like, rubbing flowers on a tree. I don't know how Catholic school works. He comes out. You, you rub flowers on a tree. Apparently. You rub flowers yeah, on a tree. Yeah, they you rub a lot they of flowers wear nice on dresses trees. and they rub flowers. It's another on a tree. movie about religion, but maybe he went to a Catholic school. Yes, according to his Wikipedia, yeah. he did. He mostly yeah. went to Catholic. That school. That makes sense because yes. that's like a nice school in Philadelphia, which has a lot of you know right. tough schools and yeah. yes. Um, he uh, the girl comes over to him, and she's like, "I think you're gonna find God," and he's like, "I gave up on that. I'm done with that quest." And she's like, you shouldn't, because I think you're going to do it. And that's like, every scene is like some big emotional moment where like, and then the music swells. 
The music swells the music in this by movie. the same guy who did uh, the music to Praying with Anger. I was gonna say they're very, very similar Edmund scores. Troy. Very I assume a friend of Shyamalan. So, yeah. Similar scores. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell plays a teacher who's obsessed with sports. She relates everything back to that. In one, maybe two scenes. She's wearing the hat in all the scenes. Not all of them. Some of them. Some of Maybe them. only one of them, actually. Some of them. She's wearing like a Phillies hat in one scene. Yeah. It's not like then she's wearing an Eagles hat in another scene or whatever. You know. Okay, so, okay, so what happens? So there's one major thread. Guys, no, we've described guys. the entire movie, but there's one major thread we haven't described. And it's the weirdest We didn't one. talk about the epilepsy much, but uh, there's this whole oh, yeah. epilepsy scene. So Dave's a daredevil. He'll do anything. He, like, hides in a garbage can and, like... He Ooh. really looks like a lot of kids I knew when I was that age. He's that like That kid is, was well cast. That kid looks like such a kid. Such a kid. He's such a fucking kid, this that kid. That kid where you're like, you know what? This kid's probably going to grow up and be a pretty handsome guy, but yeah. he's, like, but right dorky now, in all the right ways. Right now, we of... need the kiddiest kid we could possibly kid. <sighs> anyway, go on. Okay. So there's this weird dangling thread of a couple times in the film when, like, Joshua is, like, sneaking away to try to find God, there's, like, a weird little, like, there's a, a well, cherubic blonde boy. There's this this cherubic bomb blonde boy who Josh identifies as, like, almost the new Josh, like the little yeah. kid who's going to get picked on. Yes. And he sympathizes with him. This boy doesn't ever talk. Well, we've got talk. the bully thing, too. It's not that important doesn't to matter. talk about. There's but the bully. bully there's a bully, matter. and then he Fuck realizes the bully shit. is Fuck poor. It. He's poor. I don't, I, make, I swear to God. I used to, I wanted always for him to get in All trouble. All of these this scenes is the are so heavy-handed. But no, I'm, every scene's, ha- because every scene is like him being the bigger man and having some catharsis or realizing how the world works, and the next scene it resets back to zero. But the big point is he realizes that the bully's sad, too, and that's why he bullies, and then he reaches out, shakes his hand, and goes, like, it's been nice knowing so you So there's this little petite His best friend has epilepsy, and he saves his life. And then epileptic friend says like you're I believe in God now you're a miracle because you saved me I didn't used to believe in God now I know that you're a miracle this is little blonde kid uh doesn't talk but he'll occasionally like help out he's like a little friendly helper guy yeah he points to shit like oop if you're gonna sneak out remember to turn the alarm off or whatever and he's like and Joshua will say what the kid was implying like it'd be like oh good point I should turn off the alarm otherwise the door will go off thanks kid but the kid never speaks at all so end of the movie very literally the last class scene. picture taken. Yeah. And Josh is like, oh, that that fucking kid, he has a name. Rosie O'Donnell's like, let's let's see, we're one kid short, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, we're missing one. And he And he's like, oh, Billy, he looks out, he sees whatever. the kid walk by. He sees the blonde I'll kid. Go run get by. Him. Right. And then the second he walks out, O'Donnell goes, 17, 18. Oh no, everyone's here. Josh. <gasps> doo, doo. And so Josh says to the kid, like, you know. Chase him down a hallway. The kid's standing in a pool of light, a Janusz Kaminski-style pool of light through a stained glass window, right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful hallway. You guys have figured this out already, but. Uh, Even though we just presented this idea The to kid you. has some line along the lines of, like, you're really noticing me for the first time. Something like, I forget exactly what he's the like, line you're is. you're seeing me for the first time. Seeing me for the first time. And he's like, no, I've seen you a bunch. You were and there, you like, pointed ah. at the thing. You appeared once every 15 minutes in this film, so it was just peppered in enough that we'd remember you, but not too heavy-handed that we'd start to presume that something was off or that it was, you know, breadcrumbs for a larger right. plot point. And he's like, no, but now you're really noticing me for the first time. And he's like, I guess so. And then he says, like, he's happy, John. Right. And he's like, yeah, my friend Dave, the epileptic, I know, I visited him in the hospital last night. And he, like, starts to walk away. And then he turns around and says, do you mean Grandpa? With a huge smile on his face. And the kid's gone. The angel from God or whoever this kid was. Yeah, and he goes like, I learned that day that not all angels have wings. The angel from Allah. Yeah. 
the angel from he d- that is the know. line though right he loves yes. like i learned yeah. that day Not all angels oh and there's also a scene before that where they make you give a speech in front of your class about what you learned that oh that's year. where he says i feel like i'm wide awake yeah. i've been yeah. sleeping this whole time and i'm wide awake oh because that's david that's the funniest part so there's like seven scenes where dennis leary's carrying him it's around definitely not the and putting part. him into clothes and then there's one the scene funniest part is where dennis leary he suggests the kids suggest going to rome yeah and Dennis Leary's character oh, seems yeah. momentarily interested in going to Rome as if, like, maybe that'll shake me out of my <laughs> suicidal reverie. And then he's like, wait, you just want to go to Rome to meet the Pope, don't you? Like, We're not going to Rome. Oh, the Pope lives there? Yeah. Huh, funny uh, anyway, clunkety. go on. What's the funniest scene? Okay, so, like, they keep on. Josh can't stay awake. He keeps on falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so sometimes they're like, Josh, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth. And they're like, okay. And then the doors close. And then they knock on the door 10 minutes and later. He's asleep. And he's asleep on the sink. Yeah. And so at the end of the movie, it's the last day of school. And they're like, Josh, last day of school. And Dennis Leary and Dan Delaney stand outside the door. And they're like, oh boy. And they look at each other and they're like, we're going to open this door. And Josh is going to be sleeping. And they open the door and Josh is wide awake. Yeah, I am honestly. And he goes like, what? I, I like missed all of this. Ready for school. You miss this? It's very subtle. So the, here's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Josh is always really tie tie. Right? I think at this point I was like playing inside out on my phone. Such, a good, game. such a good game. I'm stuck on level 124. Uh, I'm stuck on like 167. But on. I've been stuck on that for like three weeks. Uh, not a humble brag because uh, I've been playing longer than David. David's doing better than I am uh, in all aspects of life. No. Um, David, the, the, the point is that he is asleep spiritually but also asleep literally. Yeah, he's sleepy. Right, he's a tie tie boy, and they gotta well, wake yeah, him up. Well, yeah, he's sleepy, and like it's like he, yeah, he's asleep religiously. He has a religious awakening. Yeah, and M Night Shyamalan's uh, twist in this movie, and it is a twist, is yeah. that God is real. God is real, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and he, the little boy's name. He's asleep romantically, I guess, and he has like an awakening. It's a lot of awakenings. This movie could have been called Awakenings, but there was already yeah. a movie called that. Yeah, but he says that. He's like, this year was big. I realized my best friend so is an invincible. I realized I like girls. I realized Rosie O'Donnell got high billing and was prominent on the poster because she was a big star at that time, not because her role was of she that was much a importance. Star. I mean, yes, Griffey Newman, 10-year-old Griffey Newman, number one star in the world. Yeah. Um, my big revelation I had from this film is, is just uh, how bad I feel for my parents having to deal with me for the first 10 years of my life. That was my big revelation. It is was, your dad like Dennis Leary? A little bit. Is your mom like Dana Delaney? A little bit. There you go. My grandpa was not like Robert uh, Logie, and he didn't die until I was uh, older. Uh, but I was obsessed with death. I would like wake my parents up in the middle of the night and be like... I had those phases, too, when I was a kid, but maybe like, not quite as intensely as you. My parents were not did. religious, but they like just were my towing the company line of like what the basic sort of things we all believed yeah. in were. And so I was like, wait, but how do you balance on a cloud in heaven if the clouds isn't oh, solid? Oh, God, you sound so annoying. I was, yeah. I was honestly oh written God. by M. Night Shyamalan as a child. Yeah. I was like, well, everything I said was that mock What profound. if a baby came out and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, we've done a test, and unfortunately this baby is written by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and you're like, fuck! Uh, well, so my, my big takeaway from this movie is that I'm going to adopt. Um, in summation, <laughs> both films are kind of about religious awakenings. Yeah. Uh, but also yeah. just about guys who are stubbornly stuck at certain points. Yeah. And uh, Wide Awake feels like, again, I think like a bit of a movie where he, there is some, in, some personal content from him. Yeah. But he's also trying to make like a pretty generically uh, crowd-pleasing movie. I also do think, according to everything we read, that, you know, Harvey was on set. This movie was smoothed out a lot. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a Weinstein, you know, a Miramax movie, but it feels more like a a touchstone movie. It feels very, very broad and sort of family centric in a way feels that Miramax like, um, wasn't doing at that time. Well, it feels like a lot of the movies that would be marketed to me as a kid, like the Great Panda Adventure. Yeah. Those like Morgan Creek movies where it's like, this is a movie for children. Yeah. And but it's is, like live action and things happen in this it. This is third tier. This is, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. what was it called? Uh, Gold Diggers, The Legend of Bear Mountain. Absolutely. Right? All was those, that the name of that? I mean, a yeah. lot of them had animals now yeah. that I'm thinking of it. A lot of yeah. them were about a boy and his, you know, animal. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, or a girl. Yeah. But this film, uh, by the time this film is being released in 1998, three years after the fact, now Matt Shyamalan has not disowned it, but is unhappy with how he's practically disowned it. I, I'm saying at the time no, of its sorry, release, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I read someone tweeted recently was talking about M. Night Shyamalan and remembers that they were doing like a press junket. For Wide Awake, or or oh, oh Joe Garden was talking about this. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Saying there like, we go. Uh, Joe they Garden, canceled Joe the junket. Yes. But they were trying to solicit people to take interviews with M. Night Shyamalan that being like, this guy's going to be big. His next movie he's filming right now has got Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. right. So and by the time is, this yeah. movie came out, he was already like well underway becoming I suppose, the M. Night Shyamalan But we the know. thing is, like The Sixth Sense came out when Bruce Willis was at a one of his many fallow periods. And, and it was a career reviver. It, it absolutely was. And we're going to talk about that next week. That's what we're going to talk about but next the, week. But the motifs that we're seeing, like, obviously, it has this fucking crazy twist ending, which is, yeah. like, I I did not know that there was going to be a twist ending. I thought the movie was going to end with his speech where he's like, ah, I feel wide awake now. And you're like, ah, the kid grew up. Good for him. He says the words wide awake. Yeah, you know, he figured yeah. out that, you know, yeah. yes, death is scary, but it is a part of life and we must, you know, whatever, you yeah. know, eh, whatever. He, he did it. Yeah. No, Maybe he gets a kiss at the end or something. Wasn't be... structured like a twist movie, but you realize he's a guy who's really interested in audience payoffs, you know, emotional manipulation. I don't mean that in a negative way, but he no, wants whatever. to get specific responses out of his audience. It's similar to the end of Bedazzled. Yes. The remake. Where God appears. But I do think that all of M. Night Shyamalan's films end up being crisis of faith movies. These two movies more literally than yeah, most yeah, of the abso- others. Absolutely. Signs is also religious. Signs but the other ones religious. are all about people coming to terms with like, most M. Night Shyamalan movies are people stuck in a sort of malaise. Yeah, we're, we're laying the groundwork here. This, yes. is, this is the thing, because yeah. Right, but every M. Night Shyamalan movie starts with someone in a malaise who finds the will to live again. We're laying the groundwork. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna come back to this movie. This movie more than praying with anger. Yeah, almost every week I bet because yeah, yeah. The the seeds are here. And guys, the rest of these episodes are gonna be so funny. <laughs> they're gonna we be, will laugh and laugh. They're gonna be like the when wide awake, he's asleep. The movie's called Wide Awake and he's uh, okay, sleeping. Okay, okay. Uh, so I have an excerpt from the Rolling Stone interview. I'd like to read to Please end do. the episode. Please do. Um, so in 1988, before uh, M. Night was accepted at NYU, he turned a full page in his high school yearbook into a mock-up cover of Time magazine, featuring himself sitting on a bar stool, snapping the suspenders of his tuxedo with the screaming headline, NYU grad takes Hollywood by storm. So he's similar. He has the same... Uh, what's the word? Uh, it, uh, hubris as Spielberg did in his yep. early years, mm-hmm. where you know there's that famous video of Spielberg, uh, finding out on tape that he didn't get nominated for best director for Jaws. Beat him. Yeah. Uh, when, when like they were filming him because they figured he was about to find yeah. out he did things like yeah. So early hubris and Spielberg also like famously just snuck onto the uh, I believe Warner Brothers lot. And, like, found a vacated office and went there to work every day so that he had, like, a Warner Brothers number and people could call him. Right. And then, like, you know, backpedaled his way into, like... Uh, 
Go on, sir. Getting contract there. I'm realizing we didn't do a performance review, and I think we should. I think we should too, quickly. Um, but for wide away, forget praying with anger. Praying with anger. The only performance I like is the best friend. Yeah, he's good. Uh, Maybe what the was, teachers were okay. Yeah. What's interesting about that though, Ben, is that uh, come 2003, M Night Shyamalan actually was on the cover of Time Magazine. Yep. With the headline, the next Spielberg. And he also said uh, around the period of time after having his falling out with Harvey Weinstein. He uh, decided uh, that he would write a great script that will sell for over two million bucks and will star Bruce Willis and will finally allow me to fulfill my destiny to take Hollywood by storm. And then he fucking did it, which is crazy. I mean, he will talk about it later. He was the most canny screenplay seller. Yeah. Uh, Lady in the Water, I believe, he sent the script to every studio and said there is a one-hour time-locked $5 million price on this script if you want it. Everyone's getting it at the same time. First person gets it, and it's sold. And every film between Sixth Sense and Lady in the Water was released by Disney. He had, like, a deal with Disney, which at that point owned Miramax. He jumps up from Miramax to Touchstone and is a Touchstone guy. He's, like, under contract to Disney. Okay. Uh, not under contract, but uh, he's, we'll like, about yeah, yeah. Uh, bosom buddies. Um, performance review. Okay, I'm going to read out the IMDb uh, okay. order. So, Joseph Cross. Great thumbs up. Thumbs down. Timothy Reifsnyder as Dave O'Hara. Great thumbs up. Yeah, I give him a thumbs up. He's a kid. Uh, Dana Delaney as Mrs. Beale. Yeah, I liked her. She was a mom. <laughs> she was a mom. She's fine. Thumbs All right. up. All right. Yeah. Dennis Leary as Mr. Beale. Thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, sorry, What Dennis. are you doing, Dennis? <laughs> Dennis, what are you doing? You're a fine actor. David and I, we are two of the biggest fans of Dennis Leary as a dramatic actor you will ever find. I, I would have nominated for him for an Oscar for The Amazing Spider-Man. Me too, and I hate that movie. He's it's not so a great movie. good. I despise that movie. He's so good in it. That's at a point where he knew how to do that. Anyway. Anyway. Thumbs down. Thumbs Robert Loja as Grandpa Beale. Thumbs up. He's a grandpa. <laughs> He's pretty good. Yeah, he He's is. fine. Rosie O'Donnell is Sister Terry. I mean, gotta give her a thumbs I up. I give her a thumbs down. It's wooden, but it's Rosie. Oh, David, boy. come on. It's Rosie. The Koosh. Come on, think about the Koosh balls, David. I, I lived in Britain. I didn't see no Rosie oh, O'Donnell. God, show. I would just pray to get sick. I would eat Windex. I would eat Windex Ew. so I could get sick and stay home and watch Rosie Cameron O'Donnell. Cameron Manheim is Sister Sophia. I don't think she has a scene where she's the focus of the scene. No, it's like you she's hear just her saying, teaching like, in the background. Yeah, she's just taking attendance. Dave and Joshua are like talking about boners and she's in the background going, like, I mean, Newman, Newman, Newman. Cameron Manheim, I don't think the practice was on yet, so maybe she just wasn't famous yet. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, she does look a lot no, like a nun. On. Well, no, but it was... Uh, it was on by the time before, the film yeah. came out, yes. Uh, she looks like a nun. You know, she's classic casting for a nun, stereotypical casting. So I'll give her a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs down. Uh... <laughs> Julia Stiles as Nina Beale. Thumbs up. Best performance yeah, in the movie. Yeah, no question. A star is born. Dan Loria as Father Peters. Thumbs up. Actually, maybe my favorite performance. He's really winning in two scenes. He's the one guy who seems annoyed with Joseph Cross in a way that I think is funny, where he's just like, I don't know, kid. I don't know where God is. This is my job. I work here. Um, I like him a lot now. Yeah, uh, I, I find with a thumbs up, uh, he also was in Independence Day as a commanding officer. He was a dad on Wonder Years. Yeah, I know. And he played Vince Lombardi on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's yeah. right. In uh, Lombardi, the yeah. musical. Yeah. It wasn't a musical. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> uh, it was called Lombardi the I'm musical. I'm going to stop it there because I don't remember any of the other characters. Yeah, I don't either. Um, so, so, in conclusion, two great movies that we love. 
Um, David's not paying attention. <laughs> Looks like this performance great review list. wise, uh, you have uh, one, two, three, four. One, two, three. Ooh, it's almost kind of tied. Oh, it sounds like we need the tiebreaker to jump in. Producer <laughs> yeah. Ben. Ben, did you watch any of this movie? Uh, no. Okay, so cool. do you think the acting in Wide Awake is good or bad? I think it's garbage. <laughs> Woo! What? I win. Okay. It's a day of victories. Fuck, fuck this. <laughs> um, thank you all for listening thank to... Thank you. <sighs> Pod Night Shyamacast. Uh, please keep listening to uh, Blank Check. Yeah, Blank Check. Thank you for listening to Blank Check. Yeah, our uh, new our podcast, our new old podcast. Thank you for being our our favorite blankies. Yep. Thanks. Thanks to all the blankies. And here's something crazy: we're part of the UCB Comedy Podcasting Network. Yep. They got other shows, David. They do. Menage a Trois, Ooh. Murph Meyer, Dana Kolsky. UCB Digital, Nathan Rush, Nathan Russell. Yeah. I don't remember which other ones are happening because it's what else we new got? year. What else we new, got, Benny? New year, new season. Yeah, we're, we're launching uh, actually uh, tomorrow. What? Um, Shannon O'Neill, the artistic director Love Shannon. for, for uh, UCB uh, here in New York, and uh, a performer, uh, Keaton and Patty, are, uh, have a show they do called What Else, where they interview comedians to talk about uh, their careers or uh, just interests outside of comedy. Sounds great because I hate comedy. Uh, please listen and subscribe and rate and review to all those shows and yep. to our show. Keep yep. reviewing us. Keep reviewing us. We've got some great reviews and probably in a couple episodes uh, we'll maybe uh, dive back in and read some of them on air. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hells, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I hope everyone can stick with us in this post-Star Wars world. Uh, tune in next week. We're going to be discussing The Sixth Sense. Yeah, a little-known movie called The Sixth Sense. With uh, Katie Rich. I think Katie Rich is going to be our guest, uh, yeah. editor of VanityFair.com's Hollywood section. Yep. Uh, fantastic person. Very exciting. Also, uh, you guys should follow uh, us on Twitter. Blank at, Check Pod. Yeah, at Blank Check Pod. As well as email us at... Blank Check Podcast at gmail.com. I believe that's right. Boom. Um, yeah. And, Maybe we'll have a Facebook page or something as well. Ooh, down the road. We're trying to go brand crazy. Guys, guys it's going to be great. We're going to be branded. It's going to be um, great. But yeah, email us if you have any ideas of uh, pitches of uh, future miniseries or one-offs that you want to do. We have some more planned out oh, after this, but oh, also, we're always accepting ideas. Mm-hmm. I want to throw this out to you guys, and then we could also open this up to the fans. Okay. Um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of merchandise corners. Oh, right? yeah. But I, I'm thinking since we've recently branded the show... We should probably come out with our own merch. We should 100%. Oh, wow. I like the idea of maybe doing a stress ball. Ben, I, I am rock hard right now. Ooh, I got a big stinky boner Ew, for oh what you're talking about. Can I do just a very quick merchandise spotlight? Sure. <laughs> sure. I'm still looking for a Ray action figure from Star Wars The Force Awakens. If you find one, please email me. At uh at, at blankcheckpodcast at gmail yeah. Are they uh are they gonna make more though? Aren't they sort of pushing more out now? They are, but there's one specifically that I'm looking for. It is a six inch yeah, it's black cool series yeah. ray with BB eight. And here's the important part, David. The first run of the figures did not have a dry brush paint wash on the BB eight. I'm looking for second run oh with a dry God. wash. I, I have nothing to say. A dry brush paint wash on the BB-8. So if you see a six-inch black series 
All right. Ray action We got it. We got it. With a BB-8 and that BB-8. It's BB a podcast. They can listen back. Looks dirty. Oh. I want to repeat it one more time. No, no. You can't repeat it one more time. What kind I of will, inch? I will turn Six. your microphone off. What series? Black. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Ben, I'm going to pull this microphone. What run? Out. The second run. We get it. All right. All right. Let's Email. I will Venmo you money if you find that because I've been, yep. I've maybe checked 30 stores in the last month. Um, great. So, right. Email us about that or any suggestions about some merchandise you'd like to see down the road. Yeah. And, we'll uh, open up like a cafe press. We'll put our logo on everything. We'll put our faces on everything. So just. We'll have like Hello Fennel shirts. Yeah. I kind of want to have like my face. Uh, on a stick with like eyes, so it's like the peeper, like you can wear like a mask. <laughs> ben, do you just want to like create a lot of Ben Hosley branded merch? <laughs> no, like. your it's stuff for the isn't show, even podcast okay? themed. No, I want to make show. a. Uh, what about a thermometer that's Ben's face so it gets scarlet with rage <laughs> when yeah, it's hot outside? <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Email thanks, in merchandise for ideas, guys. Email, Email in, in ideas of things you want us to cover. And, uh, Email in action figure find, second wash, dry brush, dark wash on the BBA. Okay, and with that, as always, and as always, six inch black series Ray BBA uh, second. Round. God damn it! <laughs> Bye. Bye.